The Windows Store is your locally owned and operated go-to source for high-quality updates at affordable prices. They specialize in windows, kitchen refacing, roofing, and entry doors. After 20-plus years of going above and beyond for homeowners in Minnesota and in Wisconsin, they are proud to be one of the top home improvement companies in the country. With over 900-plus reviews on Google and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can count on them to provide you with the best possible experience. Now, they're a company that you can depend on for your current and future projects, all backed by their done-right guarantee. They'll provide you with straightforward, honest pricing and ensure that you are getting the best products for your needs installed by trained, licensed, and certified professionals. You can visit them online at www.windowstoreinc.com and let them guide you through every step of the process from start to finish. Welcome to Black and Blue with AK and Officer Jai. I am AK Kamara. And I'm Jai Hansen. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? I'm doing amazing, man. We have a great show lined up today. Those of you that are first-time listeners, this podcast is about talking about the things that the media portrays in, I think, a wrong light. Through life, things are going to beat you up. You're going to get black and blue. On top of that, we're both black. And my co-host is law enforcement. So on this podcast, we really want to dive into conversations about people that have been portrayed in a certain way, beat up by the media. And we're always going to have a very wide ranging variety of guests with different ideologies. But today we have someone that if you grew up in Minnesota um, anytime after like 1995 and you've paid attention to football and you've been like, oh, these are some great years. You're going to know who our guest is. Our guest today is none other than former center of the Minnesota Vikings, Matt Burke. Welcome to the show, my friend. Good to see you guys. Hey, good yeah, to have man, you on. I mean that. Like, you know, I mean, I've gotten to know both you guys a little bit over the last six months or a year, and I genuinely like you guys. So I'm I'm genuinely happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I should mention that you also are running for lieutenant governor of the state. Oh, yeah, of there is that. That is true. That's, that that's, is true. That's a very important well, reason. I gotta to say, first too. off, I know I am new to podcasts. I know you're a pro at this, but I mean, do we talk about this or not? I mean, look at what he is wearing. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is my style. It's, I got what this, is this? I mean, you got to tell us a, what this bear, is. There's a bear. There's some Japanese writings that I think says hello. Some anime characters. It's just kind of my style, man. You Matt, know, do you have a shirt like this? No, this, no. That. Uh, and are you going to buy one? Not no. after seeing how it looks on AK. No, <laughs> it, um, it's a typical it's a conservative bear with a bear. style. Yeah, this is what conservatives wear. So, oh really? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's this is kind of par for the course. I actually think it's important to always mention. When we talk about conservatism, I think that there's this box that a lot of people get put in. Yeah. And I, I'm a person that says, don't judge me by just the way that I look or the color of my skin. Judge me by the content of my character. And I think that this helps to break that narrative. You came a up bit. with that? I did. I did. Yeah. I, I had a dream um, when I was sitting in a Birmingham jail. And uh, damn, I had no idea that was you. <laughs> Man, you know, I, I honestly kind of getting into the important things that that really matter to me and everyone's going to be a little bit different but i'm so curious matt about your perspective you know you you had this very successful nfl career you got a super bowl ring in minnesota not, not with the vikings not with the vikings unfortunately <laughs> just clarify that just to clarify but you grew up here in minnesota yeah um and and you've been a staple now i'm 38 and i remember 
and, 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 you know, just watching the Vikings, I was always a huge homer and, you know, I knew who you were, you know, and, and I've always been interested in people that get to play kind of locally. You know, that doesn't happen all the time. You know, right now we got Thielen, um, you know, CJ Ham, you know, things like that. But it's always nice to have someone like that. So I, I just kind of first question is, what is it like, you know, after NFL, just living your life as, as, a, as a normal person? Yes, now that I'm normal. Um, I mean, it's, it's normal, you know. I mean, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I think a lot of the, you know, my... The, the things that I think about, the things that I worry about, almost everybody does, right? I mean, I'm just, especially, I mean, running for office aside, you know, I'm just trying to stay married and raise eight kids in this crazy world. Eight you kids. Know? Yeah. You know, I mean, I before I left the house tonight, I always said, hey, take out the trash. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's what I do, you know? Normal dude. I mean, pretty, pretty much. Uh, I don't wake up every day and... Uh, look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm a Super Bowl champion or anything like that seems like <laughs> forever ago. Um, I'm making lunches. I'm, you know, I have three teenage daughters. So I'm like the dumbest man alive because they just tell me how I don't know anything all the time. I mean, it's just kind of a, I don't know, I think a pretty typical for a 46 year old guy. So the fact that you had a high level of fame, doesn't I was really... an offensive lineman. Let's not. I mean, you know, I... oh, well, relative relative to the average person, right? Um, you did win the okay. Walter Payton Man of the Year, um, so that means that you got a lot of media about that because that's a very important thing. But I was but still a lineman. Have... No, but there's no kids out there tonight <laughs> saying their prayers, saying God, please make me an offensive lineman. That's that's a prayer God has never heard. Okay? Matt so... was the Man of the Year in the Love Boat. Is, was that the same year? No, or is, no, no. I separated that a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, interesting why you zero in on the love boat, Jay. <laughs> right uh, away. No, we no. I, no. I won the man of the year when I was in Baltimore. The love boat was a few years before that. And just uh, to clarify, I was not on the boat. That's good. Okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So with, with my this, story checks out. Well, I guess Hansen. I have no other questions. So. <laughs> with with this, you know, again, with this level of fame, you know, you talk about your family and. Really, I think the perspective that people have is that, you know, if you have fame, that your life is significantly different than everyday people. Mm. But it's not because you just explain. So, you know, tell me about your family. I, I Obviously, yeah. having a large family, you have a lot of duties uh, more than the average person because you have more than the average number of children. Than, <laughs> it's true. Than most people. I, let, let me say this about having fame and, you know, grew up in St. Paul, five minutes from the Metrodome. Um, playing for the Vikings was was great for a couple of reasons. One, I was playing in the NFL, which I never thought would happen. Number two, though, coming to the team that I grew up rooting for, like how cool is that? Right. Yeah. Right. But it was great for me because two things, one, 1998 was my rookie year. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows 1998, the Minnesota Vikings, we were really, really good. Right. Mm -hmm. So I came to a team that I didn't need to play on. Like they didn't need me right away. They're like, we're, we're pretty stacked. Okay. You can take a couple years and develop. And for me, that was, the perfect situation because I wasn't ready to play in the NFL. And a lot of guys don't have that luxury. If I would have had to have gone out there and played my rookie year, it would have probably been a disaster. And my career would have been very, very short because you only get a couple chances. And then if you can't do it, they say, well, all right, let's just draft somebody else the next year and see if he can do it. So it was a perfect situation. I got to be at home with my family and friends and the people who loved me for who I was, not what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the first couple of years, they were rough. I was trying to, I was fighting for my professional life. So to have that support, but then, you, yeah, there's, there's fame that goes along with that. 
but I was hanging around with the guys I hung around with in high school. They didn't care. You know, they didn't care that I played for the Vikings. They knew me when I was a, you know, fat, freckled faced kid back in grade school. So I think it was, it was, it was a great situation because it kept me very, very grounded. I could never get, you know, full right. of myself because they would have, you know, they'd have slapped me upside the head. Right. Yeah. Matt, you talk about your family, eight kids, uh, adopted two kids. I'm mm -hmm. adopted. I have a brother that's adopted. One thing you and Scott Jensen talk about is the adoption tax credit of $2,500. Yeah. Can you go into a little bit about that and talk about your decision to adopt? Well, for us, we were, uh, I don't, I mean, there's never really a plan in place. You know, so you always want a big family. I'm like, I don't know, I guess. But, you know, we just kept having kids and, and uh, had six kids. And then we're no longer able to, to have any more biologically. So my wife said, well, what about adoption? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm definitely open to it. I think she was kind of the driving force behind it. Personally, if I could be honest, I didn't think anybody was going to choose our family. We already had six kids. I thought they were going to look and be like, well, they already got a bunch of kids. My my, my child's never going to get any attention. But um, two birth moms chose us essentially on the same day. Mm. So it was like, oh, okay, we're going to adopt two kids. And uh, and it's, it's, it's absolutely um, amazing. You know, I couldn't imagine my life without – our two adopted sons, um, people ask me all the time, is there a difference between your biological kids and your adopted kids, how you feel about them? None, none whatsoever. Um, but, you know, how Scott and I talk about it is, look, it, it, this, <laughs> we know what the, what the conversation is around uh, abortion right now mm -hmm. and with, with Roe v. Wade being overturned. And it seems like that um, a lot of times the discussion is reduced to this false binary where it's like, well, you either got to have an abortion or you're sentenced to single motherhood for the rest of your life. And we, there's a third option, adoption. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. Um, I don't think, I know that I haven't witnessed a greater act of love in my life than the birth mothers who, who placed their children up for a loving adoption and chose our family. And I know that there's literally thousands, tens or hundreds of thousands of couples out there praying praying that somebody chooses them, you know, for their, for their child. And I think, geez, if you're a, if you're a, a woman who's unexpectedly pregnant and if you place your child up for adoption, you could literally be the answer to somebody's prayers. Right. And that's, you know, if you talk about, you know, our, our, our time on earth here is very brief, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's very brief. But if you could at, at one point do one thing in your life and answer somebody's prayers, that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to do. So Scott and I really want to elevate the conversation around adoption. Make sure, that, hey, this is this is the third option, if you will, that rarely gets talked about. Um, but also streamline it, make it more affordable, make it easier, um, because uh, because it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I think you talk to the millions of families that have been fortunate enough to to adopt, and and they would they would tell you that it's it's. It's an it's a blessing that's really hard to even articulate. You know, yeah. when you talk about uh, adoption and how much you love your sons and that you don't differentiate, I, I think that shows your heart. And I, I think this is a part of the conversation that never gets talked about when we're talking about adoption. Um, our, our human experience has been that blood is what matters the most, right? Mm. That's That's been mm. an average human experience. And, and I think that that is a very poor way to look at it. I, yeah. I think, as you said, 
you love your sons that are adopted and not biological as much as you love your biological children. And I think that that speaks to your character and to your heart. That's a decision that I think is hard for some people to imagine, but being able to do that. So, you know, can you kind of tell me where does that come from? Why, why did you have this desire to, to not only help yourself? Cause you know, let's be honest uh, when you adopt children, it's because you desire to have more children. Um, but it means that you have to, take on uh, someone else's genetic, you know, uh, offspring. Mm. Where's that come from, man? I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I grew up in St. Paul in the eighties and just sort of had this, I would, I would say it's an uh, idyllic childhood. I mean, there was tons of families. It was just real middle class. It was kind of one of those deals where you just went outside and there's always a ton of kids. It was safe. And everybody just kind of watched out for everybody, you know. Other parents would yell at you, you know, if you were doing something wrong. Um, I don't know. I just had a great childhood. And I think maybe that's why I love kids so much. Um, I'm also realized when I was a kid, there was a lot of people that took an interest in me, teachers, coaches, that, you know, didn't necessarily have to, but kind of went the extra mile for for whatever reason. And so it just feels like, you know, that that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Like, you know, when you're a child, you're – your whole world construct kind of gets formed. And so to me, this is like, this is just what you're kind of supposed to do. I, it wasn't like a conscious decision that I made. That was just, that's just how the world works to me. You know, kind of, you know, that same mentality that you care so much about kids. And obviously you believe that there's a set of values um, that are important for society to have because you started a school. Mm -hmm. you, you and uh, another gentleman. And so can you kind of tell me why? Like, what? why did you want to start a school? Yeah, I mean, education's part of my story. Um, yeah, I was, uh, early on, I wasn't a great student. They kind of, they thought I might have a learning disability. Turns out I was just really lazy. Um, and I had a teacher who kind of said, he's just lazy, we'll fix him. And she did. And, and uh, you know, education was a, was a great path for me. I mean, I, I was built kind of for the education system. I was just blessed with the ability to be able to memorize a lot of information and regurgitate it, which when I went to school, when you guys went to school, that was, that was kind of the skill to have. Yeah, that right? is a skill. Know, now we've all got supercomputers in our pockets, so right. it's a little bit less important. But, um, but to that point, you know, my family, we moved around a little bit, been, went to a lot of schools and I, I sort of saw like, are we really, you know, to me, school should be preparing kids for life. Mm -hmm. Are we preparing kids for life? Because all I ever hear us talking about is how we're preparing kids for college. And then and then what? Like, what does college prepare you for? To become an employee somewhere? <laughs> you know, I look at it as we're all entrepreneurs of our own lives. We all have different skills. You know, I mean, if I could, you know, say we're all made in the image and likeness of God. Mm -hmm. And he's got a specific plan for each and every one of us. You know, yeah. my path is not the same as yours or yours. And it kind of seemed like with education, we were kind of saying like, we're going to treat all these kids the same. We're going to get them all to college. And, and it was like, no, no, you got to, you know, we, we've got to recognize the, the, the differences, uh, different talents and, and prepare kids, not just for college. A lot of them won't go to college, but prepare them more for, for life. Yeah. And so I wanted to start a school, a faith-based school that was also though tweaked the education model and started to develop a lot of these skills that our kids are lacking these days, like resiliency, communication skills, right? Cause Kids now in high school, they don't know life without a uh, smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to collaborate, work within a team, those types of things versus, you know, what's the capital of Argentina? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of this idea that I had and and uh, partnered up with another gentleman who sort of 
knew about the nuts and bolts of starting a school. He had done it before and, uh, it just, you know, just kind of happened in Unity Catholic High School. Now it's in our fourth year. We're going to have our first graduating class this year. And it's it's been a, a an amazingly fun and rewarding project to, to be a part of. What was your thought process from changing from the education side of it to pivoting now to politics? <sighs> That's a great question. Keeps me up some nights, too. At 3 in the morning, I'm saying, why did I do this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, um, I think like a lot of people is concerned with everything that went on with during COVID. Um, and I, when I that kind of when you decided, okay, I got to get involved. Yeah. I I think like, I, like I got really mad, like a lot of people and it's like, well, I got to do something. Okay. What, what can I do? But what really just bothered me was I felt like the way that, um, these, these government policies or edicts that were coming down, how it was hurting our kids, how it was hurting, uh, businesses. Um, you know, during the to close churches, it was just like, I was like, this just is not right. Um, I just saw a lot of people being hurt and, you know, there's a lot of people that can't, I don't want to say they can't do anything about it, but they might not be able to stand up for themselves. Or I knew that I, you know, I had a platform a little bit. Um, so it was like, what can I do? And it just so happened, um, about a year and a half ago, I was on an airplane and Scott Jensen was on that airplane and I didn't know who Scott Jensen was, but my wife did. And uh, she told me, oh, that's Scott Jensen. And so I, I met him and we went and had lunch a couple of days later and I got to know him. And I said, well, here's a man of character. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's what struck me. He's, he's a man of character. He's a Christian. He's a husband. He's a father. He's successful. And he was running for the right reasons. You know, he didn't, he's, Scott's old. You know, he's really old, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, at that point in my life, I'd be worried about how many rounds of golf I'm getting in. But he's <laughs> going to take on this 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 massive thing and run for governor. I said, you know what? He's doing it for the right reasons, um, and uh, and I actually think he can win in Minnesota because I don't. I just said I don't think a typical Republican can win in Minnesota, right? We've we've seen that movie a hundred times, and so I said I'm going to support this guy. And when I started following him, I saw that. This was what we all talk about, you know, an organic grassroots movement. A couple hundred people would be at an event and they were all just like me. They'd never really been involved before. Like he was getting people, I think COVID was part of it, but he was, he was getting these first timers. They were connecting with him. He was connecting with them. And I thought, man, this is like real. This movement is real. And so I was just trying to do the best I could to support him. And then after a while he came and, and asked me to be his, his running mate and, First, I said no, because <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what the lieutenant governor does, but I'm pretty sure I, I, it's not me. Um, but then he came back and we talked about it a lot. And uh, yeah, I kind of liked the way that he, I liked the way that he positioned it. Scott's, you know, Scott, he's not an ego guy. No. There's like no ego. It's crazy. And, yeah. you know, for a doctor, much- you you would think a doctor would have a lot of ego, right? Because they, I mean, especially when you're running a practice. But he's like one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. Right. Honestly. I mean, he's probably the smartest guy in any room that he walks into. But you would never know it. Uh, treats everybody the same. He's, he's just, he's an incredible human being. And I said, well, you know, I can, I could be teammates with this guy. You know, I'd be proud to, 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 to run with him. And so, um, you know, I thought, he, and, and you know what? He's, he's taken the plunge. He's put himself out there. He's taken the arrows. Um, I kind of thought, you know, I, I can do that. If he's doing that, I can do it. And quite frankly, and I, I don't want this to sound braggadocious, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of built for that. Like, it doesn't really bother me that much what people, people that don't know me, what they say or think about me. 
Yeah. Um, have you always been that way, or is that something that <clears throat> professional sports kind of prepared you for? Uh, it was a little bit of both. You know, when I grew up, I was um, I was you know the short, fat kid. Um, I got picked on or bullied or whatever. I don't say bullied because. Bullying's a serious thing, but you know, back in the eighties, we didn't call it bullying, right? We kind of just yeah, called yeah. it growing up. Sure. Um, and uh, but I remember um, developing some some kind of mental toughness through that, and I also think you know, I was very fortunate to be raised by two parents who took me to church, and I learned about you know I learned about God and that He made me, and you know He had a special plan for my life, and so I've kind of always had that assurance that you know everything's okay, uh, everything's going to be. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, after, you know, I had to convince my wife a little bit to let me, cause I've taken her on some adventures now, but I was like, you know, these normally, <laughs> these normally work out. Remember you didn't want to move to Baltimore, but that worked out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so when she said, yes, I said, all right, let's go, let's go full speed ahead, Scott, and see, see if we can do it. You know, along the same vein of you're making these transitions, right? Um, you go from NFL, you, you know, and then you, I think you, for a while, were you the president of like football operations or something like that? I worked, yeah, I worked in the NFL league office yep. for two years, yep. and then you decide you're you're back in Minnesota, you're starting the school, and now all of a sudden COVID hits, and, and now you're jumping into politics. To that end, up until the moment that you jumped in politics, sure, you probably had some criticism, right? Sports writers or you know things like that um, can be brutal, but tell me about what you've experienced since you've announced your political beliefs from people that knew you that you had interacted with. Tell me what's that been like? Um, people that I knew before and yeah. now, and they're on the other side of yeah, the, of the aisle. Say, they're not your friend or whatever, but like they're people you interacted with that, you know, you had cordial conversation. Have there been changes? You know, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to be just throw it out there. Um, I listened to, to, you know, to Paul Allen and you should not do that. <laughs> right. And so like, <laughs> I you, love you, PA, right. Love like you. have the Burke bit, but, um, I, I've, I, I hear a difference in the way that they talk to you. It's almost, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious if my intuition is, is somewhat you well, know, correct on that. So just, can you tell me, have people treated you differently since you announced? Oh yeah. No, definitely some people. And there's been things where, um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not into like outing people, but uh, yeah, you're not the same events that I would have been invited to before. And I was like, oh, no, you can't come anymore because this is and, you know, I listen, I get it. I get um, that uh, the conversation around politics is not exactly healthy or sane sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. And when when I get uninvited to things, um, I, I mean, I'm very uh, like I used to do a lot of I used to do a lot of public speaking. I mean, I, st I still speak in public now every day, <laughs> but, you know, going to companies and talk mm -hmm. about leadership and teamwork and those types of things. And then when I, I just assumed, listen, I'm just a citizen. I'm running for office. This is just one thing I'm doing. I figured that right. the business would continue. You know, I have employees. Um, well, I declare for office and all of a sudden like 90% of the businesses can't have me come speak to their employees right. anymore because, uh, because I'm, they say, cause I'm running for office, but I have to believe because I'm running for office as a, as a conservative, yes, as yeah. a Republican. Well, yeah. I mean, you politicized a cheeseburger, right? No, I, I see. Mean... That's what I mean. I, <laughs> I, cheeseburgers should not be political, right? Um, no, but you know what? To me, I like. I get it. I get it. Um, I'm not saying I don't want to say people like, "Hell, you need to you need to be more courageous." You know, don't give in to cancel culture. I respect that you don't that you know you don't want to 
um, be susceptible to to criticism or blowback. I'm I'm respectful of that. Do I do I think? I mean, I don't I don't think we should live in fear of cancel culture. I don't. Um, I think that's how you beat cancel culture is you just don't you don't acknowledge that anybody can cancel you. But it might be different, you know, when you're a retired NFL football player, right? Sure. Um, some people they they they're worried about losing their jobs or whatever. So um, I get it. It's just. I mean, I, I kind of learned a long time ago, too. You, you really can – you should only really focus on the things that you can control. I can't focus – I can't control the way other people think or what they say or what their boss will think. So, I mean, I just kind of – I just kind of brush it off and, and move on. And uh, most of the, and most of the time, it's it's about that it's, – that's that simple. They're, they're concerned that their image is going to be hurt. And so to kind of the, the point that you already alluded to, if you would announce as a Democrat candidate – I don't think you would have had the same. Um, I think that people would have been more inviting. They might have even actually been like, they wouldn't talk about your politics, but they'd be happy to kind of promote your quote unquote brand. So to that point, have you had anybody, again, I, I don't want you to say names. I want people to you know remain your friends. Have you had anybody that's come to you in private and said, man, I'm with you, but dude, I can't like publicly. Oh, yeah. A ton. <laughs> yeah. A ton. How, how's that? How does that feel, man? I, I mean, these people are my friends. And mm -hmm. so old teammates you yeah. know and so it's like hey man i get it yeah we've all got a role to play in mm -hmm. this okay so this is this is my role it doesn't mean that everybody else has to right. has to join in um so i understand do i wish you know more people would be a little bit more public or yeah sure i mean that, that would be great but that's just that's just not the way it is um and that's uh again it's okay nothing i can really do about it i'm not gonna um not gonna you know, blow up in somebody's face or call them sure. out yeah, and yeah. just be like, okay, that's cool. Um, you know, and I'm, was it shocking to you? I, I, I am surprised at, um, yeah, I, it, it has been, yeah. especially, uh, for certain guys and, and gals. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit surprised, but I say, okay, just make sure you go vote November 8th. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's you know, the I, most important thing. I, you, yeah. hit, you hit on a point that I've said for a very long time is that, you know, you, you'll never be able to control what people think about you. You should live your life based off of the, the values and principles that you have. Um, I myself am a man of faith, and I, that's only that's the only person that's going to actually judge me. So as long as I live to the values and characters that I believe are correct and I'm not harming other people, it doesn't matter. Because you could, you know, honestly, in this we'll call it an experiment, you as a person haven't changed. You just have announced that you're running for office, and there's people that think that you are an evil person. But there's nothing you can do to change that. So right. I, I think you come into this already understand that probably makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. But this is the thing like I try to teach my kids, right? Because on kids and social media and it's all this, you know, it's all this judging and, you know, they say, I mean, the things they say to each other online. I mean, we ever talked like that to each other, you know, you'd be tussling. I mean, you'd right. be squaring up, you know, that's just the way it was. But, and so, you know, but this is what I try to teach my kids, you know, it's like, Hey, you can't worry about what other people think you got to do your thing. Don't, you know, don't, you know, be a, be a, be a light in, in a dark world, these things. But then they see all these adults doing it, you know, like the kids are watching. Right. Yeah. And my kids, you know, they're on social media. They, I say, listen, Twitter, don't insane. I say, don't I... go on Twitter. Don't look at my other accounts. I mean, I don't even know what accounts I have. Right. Some of them, I don't even have these, these platforms, but they once in a while they go and it ups, and it's like, guys, we can't worry about that. And, and you're right. You know, it's like, how do you live your life, your values? Um, you know, we're supposed to, I think we're here to 
do whatever the the will of God is for our lives. And so I, I, I go back to that, but this is the thing with the, it's really just, it's generally, it's just disappointing how the adults are acting yeah. because our kids are watching. Yeah. 100%, man. As Lieutenant Governor, let's talk a little bit about policies that you would like to see or something that you would champion for, uh, for all of Minnesota, right? You're going to have to bring everybody together. And, and what are those, uh, that picture looks like for you? Yeah, I think it's, uh, <laughs> the thing I've learned is going through this, it's like, Man, this state government, it's big, right? There's a million different things, and maybe that's why nothing ever gets done. Um, I would say, you know, my my passion issues, and number one is is education. Um, you know, for me, you know, education, getting a good education changed my life. It really did, and I think that it's a way up for, we talk about so many of the uh, marginalized communities. Um, I think we, we can just look at the data and say, the education system, it's not working well enough for enough people. Um, half our kids can't read or write at grade level. 70% of black and Hispanic kids can't read or write at grade level. Mm -hmm. We're setting these kids up for, for miserable lives. Um, I think school choice has to get done. I think you look at where it's in other states that have done it. They've had wonderful results for the students who have left the public school system, but also for the for the public schools, they've actually their the performance of those students has gone up as well. Yep, o almost almost a hundred percent of the time. Yep. Um, so it's like you know education. This this whole idea of public education and education funding is supposed to go towards educating children. It's not there to protect or prop up a, a certain institution or a certain union. Um, so we need to have school choice because I, if you're against school choice, the only question I have for you is why don't you want kids to be the best they can be? Yeah. Minneapolis, um, is even worse, right? Only 9% of black students in Minneapolis are reading at grade level. Well, like, why are we not outraged by that? Right. That's, that's Republicans. That's why is that even a partisan thing? Why right. are we not outraged? And, and I, so, you know, I, I have a TikTok. I have almost hundred thousand followers. And I like to make content based off of media narratives. And, you know, I was even kind of shocked, man. You know, when I'm going through and I'm looking at the price per pupil, the only thing that you can say to someone is the amount of money that's been going into the Minneapolis public school system has been increasing. The price per pupil keeps going up. Student enrollment has been going down. Proficiency is dropping. And so if you've tried to throw as much money as possible at it, why don't you maybe try something different and give school choice a chance? And this is what makes me so mad. We know who the, I think they're the biggest donor to the Tim Walls campaign. Oh, yeah. It's Edu the teachers union. Yeah, Minnesota Education. Yeah. And, and so, so we're literally sacrificing kids' academic careers, if we want to put it that way, at the altar of politics. Like, to me, that is, that is just not acceptable. I mean, I, it, it, that's just, like, there's right and wrong, and sometimes it's not exactly black and that's just wrong right that's a hundred percent wrong we'll just start out by going to some of these areas these low-income areas where they're asking for school choice so when are we going to start listening to the people that actually need the help yeah in this kind of situation yeah yeah uh, so you know you do main street with matt and i know that you had went over to north minneapolis yeah um you know I know that you have the presentation of, of what you're putting out there. You know, time is finite. You have to be able to put together. But, you know, when you're talking to people not on camera, um, you know, is there a desire to maybe hear more from Republicans 
uh, more than you thought there might have been? Yeah, I mean, I've been over there a lot because yeah. I'm just like, okay. And I remember the first, I mean, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously. I'd been in North Minneapolis in a long time. Sure. So first day I went over there and a, a reverend took me around and, um, you know, we're driving around and it's, uh, you just can't believe I'm like, this is 15 minutes from where I live, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and there's every other street corner, there's a, there's a white cross and a memorial for someone that got shot and uh, boarded up businesses. And, and those businesses are open, but they're boarded up. And I'm like, I can't believe this is my city. This is our city. Acceptable, tolerated. Right. And so we drive around and I say, okay, I said, uh, I was asked two questions. I say, what, okay, what about racism? I haven't heard you say racism yet. And there was like, there's no racism over here. Like, yeah, there racism, you know, other exists, places, right? Yeah. But, but they're like, it's not their concern. You know, yeah, they're like, listen, we got white people, we got Mexicans, <laughs> we're all just struggling. Like, we're in the struggle together. And then I say, okay, then let me just kind of boil it down this way. Why do you keep voting Democrat? And they say, well, that's easy. You guys stopped showing up here 30 years ago. You just gave up. They say, at least Democrats come around once every four years and. They lie to us, and we just think, well, hopefully this time they're not lying. And I thought, you know, again, and you get back to sort of your own personal values and character, and it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't – it's just not acceptable. And I wouldn't I wouldn't like myself if um, I went over there and, you know, said some things. Or I just said, ah, forget it. Those, you know, they're not going to vote for us anyways. Let's go focus somewhere else. Uh, so I've been spending a lot of time over there. And uh, – and and I, I hope they I hope they believe Scott and I when I say we're not you know we're here now we're gonna stay here, um, and we're gonna really do the best, put the best effort forward to try to fix some of these things over here that have been going on for for decades. You know, on this podcast, on on a previous episode, on another episode, we talked about our frustration um, of interacting with the Republican Party. Now I am an MLG MNGOP diehard, right? I've since 2006, I've been a delegate to every every state convention. I've been a state central delegate. I was the chair of my BPOU, um, you know, I, I, all these different things. But the thing that you and Scott are doing is you're saying, you know what, there is there is a desire, and even if the you know the political wonks, the the wannabe Carl Rove say, don't waste your time there. Um, I I think that it speaks volumes that you are saying we need to do something because if we care about people, we can't just let them, you know, kind of you know uh, spin in the wind, you know, because we're only going to get fifteen percent out of there. And it's like that's a, such a defeatist mindset because, as you said, and I've heard this so many times, it's because Republicans don't show up. So when you show up yeah. and you do the work, it, it you're going to make an impact. And and I think it's because you care about people. And for you, when you're out there and you're building these relationships with people, you know, how important is that to you? Not just as a candidate, but as just a human being that sees something. Yeah. First of all, like, and I'm not a, I'm not an MNGOP animal. Like, I mean, you got to pick a side, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm obviously a, I'm a Republican, but um, I hear about a lot of these things that have been going on in the Republican party or haven't been going on. And I said, well, shame on Republicans. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's their bad. That's mm -hmm. our bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that was, that was wrong. Um, but I gotta tell you, talking to people in North Minneapolis and having the real conversations, um, the, the pride that those residents have in North Minneapolis. I mean, there are people over there doing God's work yep. every single day. They've got pride. They've got hope, hope that things are going to get better. Um, I mean, I've met, you know, living saints over there. And to your point, 
this we're not having political conversations. Just yeah, yeah, we walk around, we talk a little bit, we we have meetings with leaders and we do the political stuff, but then you just meet people and you talk to them one on one and just human being to human being. And when I've left North Minneapolis, it's like this weird mix of part of me is like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe that that right. this is our town. But then the other part of me says like there's amazing people here. Like I'm uplifted. And, and you want to get back there. And you want to get back there. I'm going back. We're going there. Th today's Tuesday. I'm going there Thursday. I'm going there Saturday. Like it's, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm excited and inspired yeah. when I go to North Minneapolis. I, and I, so, you know, from, from a political strategy perspective, because again, this is where I come from. I've, I've long explained that if you actually put in the time and effort, there is this opening. And in Minnesota, I'm going to bring up the stat that I brought up before. Black men, 38% of black men in Minnesota voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Okay, that's that's a huge opening. They didn't vote because of the Republican. They voted because they saw their perception of, of what Donald Trump was doing, that they agreed with it. And so you have that to work on if you put in the time and the energy. And so it's it's great that you you and Scott, you're you're outside I think it of the shows box, they man. want change. Yeah, right? yeah. Like you guys really want to do something special and important for the people in Minnesota. Yeah, I was thinking, I thought, you know, I heard this once, like you, you measure a society by how well they they treat, you know, the least, yeah, if you will, yeah. the marginalized, yeah. the ostracized. And so like, you know, North Minneapolis has kind of become the the place, right, where we talk about like that's that's the, you know, the hardest part of Minneapolis. Well, so, I mean, if that's how we're going to be judged, then, you know, what are like, like what right. can we do, right? Like we have to, we have to do, something and i do think because scott and i are not institutionalized in this sort of political way of thinking mm -hmm. i mean we've thrown we got some ideas that we're still uh, still talking about where the the people who are they're like well you can't do you that you can't do it's that like, yeah why not like yeah. well you know it's well, just you know, never been done well the other time like well budget i'm like hold on budget we essentially have an endless supply of money, okay? Like the budget's fifty-two billion dollars, you know, biannually. And by the way, there's like twelve billion dollars in surplus money. So yeah. don't tell me like we don't have five hundred million dollars. Yeah. Well, what I was like, I think we got a lot of programs that aren't working or money that's just disappearing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I.e. feeding our future. I think we yeah. if, if yeah. don't tell me we don't have the money to try to do something here. Right. Matt, talk a little bit about uh the crime. People well, that you're talking to right now, some of your ideas for that. We had Scott on earlier. He he gave some of the 10 point plan. Yeah. Um, talk first of all your support for law enforcement. Um, I also want to know what kind of reform you would like to see in law enforcement as yeah. well. Well, the biggest thing is right. I, I kind of look at it as, and maybe Scott said it the same way. You know, three legged stool: prevention, enforcement, and rehabilitation. Right. So prevention, I think that goes to like. How about, you know, stable communities? How about like home ownership? How about good education? Right? Like that's the best. Let's let's give kids a chance when they grow up. Enforcement. I mean, that though that's the police officer's job. Enforce the laws that we have. We obviously don't have enough cops right now. Why don't we have enough cops? I mean, I think it's real simple. I think because you saw our leaders not stand with the police during the riots when the I mean, you you can tell you obviously better than me, Jay. I mean, I know a lot of police officers, but I know you ain't doing the job for the money. I know you ain't doing it for the glory. You're doing it because you want to serve your community. And um, you, so if if you're not appreciated and you're not supported, I totally get why a bunch of – I know a lot of cops that retired early because they're like, I'm not doing this. Well, 
that's why I'm happy to see that the MPPOA endorsed you and Scott. Uh, I don't think there um, uh, there's the majority of police, I should say, in this state will not be voting for Governor Walls. I think I can say that pretty confidently with what happened after um, George Floyd with the civil unrest and then just being abandoned. And then continuing on that with his comments at the state fair saying uh, that was the best advice that he got oh. from law enforcement professionals. Um, to me, that just uh, makes you want to, uh, you know, scratch your head and where did that come from? And he hasn't said it yet. Uh, it would be great if you could debate at some point and, and ask. <laughs> could him. you make that happen, please? <laughs> did, huh? I saw this on, on I was watching KSTP on on like Sunday. And oh, the, the image, the, the image. Yeah, that, that has, was great. It has, uh, you know, like the debate night or whatever right oh yeah 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 and then it's just scott <laughs> because walls is like nope he and it's just confirmed. funny because because they showed it man and it's just like yeah the dude is in my opinion he's scared i know from a from a political perspective what they want to say is oh we're so far ahead we don't need to give scott any additional airtime but they're yeah. scared man they're scared oh, yeah. to be held accountable yeah but you know listen you i, I mean i don't say this I, I think this is the honest truth i mean Tim Walls and Peggy Flanagan, they can't run on their record, right? You, they can't run on what's gone on the last four years. No, so they if can't. they go up on stage, like which would happen at Farm Fest when Scott and Governor Walls debated, you know, it was Governor Walls took a beating. So of course he's not coming back. Is right? there anything on the schedule for you and um, uh, Peggy Peggy? Flanagan? Nope. She said on the radio, she was asked point blank a couple months ago on Jason Derusha's show, she said, Will you debate Matt Burke? She said, Yes. He said, You will. She said, Oh, yeah, you betcha. In her best Minnesota accent, <laughs> and uh, that was that was in June, and uh, she will not schedule anything with with me either. But I just want to just get back to your law enforcement yeah. question. And so, yeah, you know, I've always looked at it like this. You know, <laughs> I'll go back. Denny Green, who man, Denny was a he was a wise <laughs> force wise of man. nature. Oh, and so Denny was from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So he would always talk about Harrisburg wisdom. You know, it's kind of that common yeah. sense wisdom that might be a little uncommon. Uh, but he was he was a genius. And I remember he t my rookie year, he said, men, I'm the leader of this team. That means my number one job is to create the environment that you come to work in every day. It's not about, you know, he goes, we got offensive coordinator. We got guys, they'll draw plays. They'll call the plays. We got guys that will lift the weights for you, you know, or with you. My job, the most important thing I can do is create the environment that you come to work in. And I think what you saw during the riots and Tim Wall's not stand with law enforcement and let, you know, the rioters do what, what they did because, uh, because I think he was worried about the political blowback from yep. his party. Yep. Um, he created this environment where criminals became emboldened, um, kind of this lawlessness, um, that's, that's still going on. And there's kind of this, like, that's the culture. That's the culture in Minneapolis, you know? And then when and then you don't have enough police officers to respond to calls. Um, so I think the most important thing Scott and I can do is stand with law enforcement and say, no, this is Minnesota. We don't, we don't let the bad guys win. We, we, we don't let the bad guys in. We have laws. We're going to enforce them. And then we're sure as heck going to have judges and DAs who are going to, you know, abide by right. like, mandatory minimum sentences, which... I must not be real good at English because I thought mandatory <laughs> minimum sentence meant that was the mandatory minimum. But you see, like, I think it's 40 percent of the time on, on violent offenses. You've seen um, judges uh, sentenced down. Yeah, right. 
like like what are we doing? Like people can just do whatever they want. Well, I'm yeah. saying I'm seeing officers in Hennepin County uh, metro area going to other counties because they don't want to be associated with yeah. with this nonsense of of uh, the revolving door and not yeah. holding people accountable. But I, mean, I do I, want I, to ask you though, uh, part of moving law enforcement uh, together and and being a better uh, profession. What are some of the uh, reforms you would like to see with law enforcement? I mean, like, listen, I'm I'm of the opinion that 99.9 percent of the time, right, the police officers do do a great job, right, and it's the point one. And I hear from the citizens that I was just in downtown Minneapolis today, and we're talking about crime, and you know, there's this which may listen. George Floyd thing was was awful and terrible, but that gave this idea out there that there's that there's rogue cops doing these things all the time right yep. i mean and and every police officer i've talked to you know has said that like obviously we're trying to do our best we're humans are there a couple bad apples sure i mean absolutely there are right um i probably can't say I, I can't say their names but talking to law enforcement leaders right like they want like they want the, the best training possible they want transparency they will admit when when mistakes happen but I think what you've seen, the problem is when mistakes have happened, mayors, governors, they, they've sort they of, muddy they, yeah, and they've turned it into a, you know, us against them versus, yeah. versus we, um, versus we. And so, um, you know, I think that when I talk about Scott and I, you know, changing that culture and I mean, we have some, I think, uh, you know, leadership crisis or, or, I mean, how, how many police chief jobs are open right now in the metro area? I mean, this is like a month. I think there's like 11. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we need, first of all, we need leaders, right? You need the right leaders in those seats and then have these people tell us, tell us what, what they need. But it's, it's with, with the lack of officers right now, we obviously need a huge recruitment effort, a uh, huge training effort. Um, um, but then a, uh, a collaboration between, you know, Minneapolis and the surrounding communities, those forces to, to come together to make sure we have uh, enough police officers on the streets, which we just don't right now. What would you say to an officer right now that's in that uh, family dilemma of, uh, should I leave this profession? I would beg him to stay. Honestly, I'd put my arms around him and say, like, we need you. Like, what you are doing is significant. Um, I know this isn't a job. It's not even a career. Like, it's it's bigger than that. This is a vocation. Um, and we love you for 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 choosing it. And and like and like we we really need you to stay. And I don't think it's, I mean, do Minneapolis and St. Paul police officers need to get paid a little more? Absolutely. Like, can we ever pay them enough? No, right? It's kind of like teachers. Right. But I think it even just goes beyond the money. It's not. I don't think they just want the money. I just think they want the appreciation, support, and respect. I mean, when I grew up, cops were the good guys. Like, there was no – and I say, oh, you're a white guy. You grew up – yeah, I mean, okay. I Yeah, I get that. You know, all of my interactions with police officers were, 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 were pretty positive. I will say, though, but where I, when I grew up, there was as a kid, there was a lot of, you know, I mean, officer friendly coming to my school. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the interactions cops, cops are the good guys. Right. They're the good guys. Um, I know now for and that's where that's where I grew up. Maybe in some communities, it's not like that in the media. It certainly doesn't seem to to be like that. <laughs> they don't help. Uh, no, they <laughs> they rarely do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would I think that we need to like we just need to let these men and women know how much they're appreciated and how much they're loved and, and listen to what they they, I know we're putting a lot on police officers, right? I mean, with the mental health crisis in this country, 
um, you know, police officer. There's there's a lot going on there. I mean, again, Jai, I, I don't. I feel like this would be like if you were telling me about what it's like <laughs> to play football, Jai. I'd be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, huh? But I well, mean, you just did whatever Randy Moss told you to do. I just when, when Randy said when Randy said, "Hey, Burke, this one's going deep." I knew I'm gonna block as I'm gonna play <laughs> as hard as I can on this play because if Randy's running deep, chances are that good things are gonna happen here. Um, you know, but it's 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 complicated. It's 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 messy out there. So. Yeah. One of one of the things that I think the media and and a lot of people don't want to touch is that when we talk about law enforcement and and where things are, people want to explain it away and say, eh, it was the pandemic, everyone's having this. And and I I don't disagree with that sentiment that that doesn't have an impact. But here's the truth: a lack of of leadership and an affirmation. Like, we basically, as a society, have to be able to come back and say. Here's what law enforcement does. This is what the institution of law enforcement is. And we have to be able to get back to honoring that institution until we do that. You are not going to solve this problem because the institution right now is under assault. And so if you are able, you know, if the, if the good people in Minnesota decide that you are worthy of lieutenant governor and that Scott is worthy of governor, are you going to bring that culture back to Minnesota? Absolutely. I mean, that's what we talk about. The leader creates the environment or creates the culture, if you will. Um, and sorry, there's two, two things I want to say. One, well, yeah, look at uh, the people in North Minneapolis brought the lawsuit against the city council because the police, is, the force is understaffed. Listen to the communities that right. need law enforcement this the is, most. Now, yeah, you would, you know, you talk to some people out like where I live, you know, who are, who are, you know, left leaning and they'll say, oh yeah, cops are the problem, this and that. It's like, really? Because the people in North Minneapolis, they want more cops. Yep. So maybe they're not the problem. So and I heard that, this was a great line is is in the in the Somali community and talking about, you know, politics and race. And I just want I just want to see where people are at. And um race kind of he said uh he said, we don't care if the cat is black or white. We just want to make sure the cat catches the mice. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, and again, yeah. they just want to be safe. Like, is there a more basic function of the government than to keep its citizens safe? Like, that's like kind of the number one thing, right? right? Yeah. So, and so, and you know, it, and then it, it all it all stems from there, right? Like, if you're a high crime state like we are now, businesses aren't going to come and invest in those communities, right? Or they're gonna, yeah. you know, they're not gonna, you know, you're gonna have less. I mean, do you think any conventions are coming to Minneapolis this downtown Minneapolis next summer? Probably not. That hurts the restaurants. That hurts the hospitality. That hurts everybody. So we got to get that. um, We got to get it fixed. And back to where Minnesota is like a, you know, safe, clean, urban, uh, urban area. But it's not it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. I think that the the lack of leadership that is coming right now from the Democrats is because they bet, and and this is what's so crazy to me, is that they bet on this idea that somehow this restorative justice movement was actually going to work. I I think there are some people that truly thought that, that if if you defund and get rid of police and and you have more mental health workers out there, that that you're solving the the problem of of crime and criminals. And it's, it's so disconnected from reality because... I grew up around a lot of criminals and I know that criminals in general want to take advantage of other people. Sure. It, you know, that's just, it's a mindset. It's like, you don't have to go and be a criminal. There's in the United States of America, you do not have to be a criminal. That is a choice that you make. Now, if you 
open up the horizon when they're younger and try and give some more avenues. But once you've got to a certain point, you continue to make those decisions. But that's the problem. That's the disconnect is that Tim Walls attached himself and Peggy Flanagan believes this, that somehow you can decriminalize crime by being more relaxed and easier and, and all these different things. Well, we tried it that way. That's right, and this is the so this, we're in the middle is, of that. How's is, that going? Yeah, and this is what the this is what the conclusion is. So that's that's why I keep on saying is that um, there has to be a, a, an actual force from the leadership to say we're done doing this stuff. I don't want to hear any of this. We need to keep our people safe, and I think that you and 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 Scott are the only ones that can do that. I, I kind of wanted to switch gears just a little bit, unless you had any other thoughts on. Can this. I say one thing to yeah. that? Yeah, what people forget is that. Yeah, we don't talk about the victims of crime. And I guess the thing that really makes me mad, um, and I say mad, is that that seemed like there was a political opportunity there for the left, right? Yeah, let's you know, let's let's talk bad about the cops. Let's def you know, because because these are base or these communities, then that'll resonate with them and that'll get us more votes. Mm -hmm. But and they're even backing off it now, right? But mm -hmm. defunding the police is not the right thing to do. And that <laughs> how's that working out for us? Not so good. But they, they've never talked about the victims. The other thing, too, is that when somebody is charged with a uh, with a with a murder, it's, it's the state of Minnesota versus that person. Like yep. it's a crime Correct. against society, yep. too. Um, and again, so we're, we're not talking about the victims rights. We're not talking about society. We're just talking about the criminals rights, if you will, which when you don't, you know, society works. We got rules. You don't yeah. follow the rules. You, you, you know, you, you don't you deserve to have some of those rights. Some yeah, of those rights. I mean, Jai, you tell me. I mean, and this is what I – how many people – the revolving door, right? It's like a majority of the violent uh, offenses committed is by a relatively small number of people, not to oversimplify, right? But if we could pull off – Yeah, in general, right? I mean, you, you – I got to give a shout-out to uh, – Twin Cities Crime Watch. I mean, yeah. they, they do a great job of putting out the information of people that are reoffending. Um, we see it daily, and it's the frustration, and that's some of the frustration leading officers out the door. Yeah. Uh, so we have to put a stop to that, and we need to put people in those positions. I'm watching the Hennepin County attorneys race very closely. Uh, yeah. we, we have to have somebody in that office that wants to do their job and prosecute. Uh, when you talk about victims, when I when I was running for Hennepin County Sheriff, that was my compass. Do I put victims first? And I would always, you know, check myself and make sure I was doing that. And and I didn't really care what other people thought, as long as I was making sure uh, we were talking about victims. And you talk about North Minneapolis and about going there, and it it energizes you, and you talk about that community. So. You only want to help. I mean, you want to be a part of it because there's so much uh, culture there and history and about this city and about the state that we need to advocate for the high crime areas like North Minneapolis. There's great yeah. people there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, when we talk about crime, um, the way that the media and the left likes to portray it is that you're just trying to scare the the white suburbans right like it, it's so disingenuous when they frame it that way um and this this poll came i don't know you probably saw it that asked people do you feel like crime has gone up and like it was something ridiculous it was like i think it was like 70 percent of people said they feel like crime has gone up and then the second question was 
Um, do you feel safe walking, um, you know, walking in your neighborhood at night? And it was complete opposite. Like 80% of people said, yeah, I feel safe walking yeah. at night. And so the way that they tried to kind of put this narrative is that, well, people just, they think that the crime is bad, but they feel safe where they are. I actually have a different opinion on it. I, I think that people want to, like, no one wants to, to crap on where they live, right? Like where you're from in St. Paul, like your neighborhood, it's like, we got the best neighborhood, right? And and you do know people. Um, but I think there's that. I, but I, overall, I think this narrative continues to get spun and pushed that crime's not that bad. They're overblowing it. And the truth is like, there's victims, go and talk to the victims, go and talk to the people that are actually affected by crime. And, and this is the truth. The people that are most victimized are black and brown people. And so when someone comes on and says, you're just trying to scare white suburban women to voting for Republicans, it's like, no, we're just trying to tell the truth so we can actually save black and brown lives mm -hmm. by having something change in our system that that doesn't happen. Even statistically speaking, the number one cause of death for men, black men from infancy one to age 44 is homicide. That is the number one cause of death. And this is something that has recently occurred. This hasn't like been this way forever, but this is something that has to change. And this is what actual having law and order and rule of law. I think that, yes, you can get to a point where you're over policing. Sure. Right. But that's not been the case in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, when you look at the, the, you know, the jail population, like the state of Minnesota, we got room. I think it's the third lowest incarceration yeah, rate yeah. in the country. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's like I mean, yeah, we I mean, I just got here five minutes ago, but it's like and kind of see, let's see, we don't have enough officers, right? We we have low incarceration rate and crime's high. I think I I think I see I, th I think I see some of these dials that we should be turning, right? It's yeah. not it's not rocket science. It's it's crazy. You know, I, I I wanted to ask in in regards to your family, right? You're running for office. And, you know, things have to be different for them because maybe even like your wife, she's maybe has friends and, and people that she's interacted with socially that, you know, in the same way that that you get it's that the damn Facebook. Uh, yeah. Uh, fa <laughs> <laughs> Facebook is ruining some of her friendships. Yeah. So, like, how 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 do you deal with that um, with your family? Because it had to be a family decision. And I, I say that to anyone that yeah. I know that has run because I know so many people that have run um, and that have won. That it's a family decision. How does your family handle, you know, you being in the political arena? You know, I think I think pretty well. You know, there's there's times there's times where you know we get a little tired and you just might read something online that just strikes you the wrong way, but uh, pretty good. And that's that's really the only the only thing I can uh, complain about or the downside to this running is it's just too much time away from my family. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're you know we're in the home stretch. I told hey guys one more month yeah. we can do this. Um, but that's also, you know, we always sit around and you hear people say, well, I wish we had better candidates, right? Well, let me tell you this. There's only about 1% of the people that can actually <laughs> run because running for office is like two full-time jobs. Yeah. 100%. So you can't really have a job. Scott, Scott Jensen does, but he's, I don't think he sleeps. Um, <laughs> he does not. He told he, us. He's crazy. <laughs> uh, it's like two full-time jobs running for office. Um, and then, you know, all the, all the time away from your family. And all the all the stuff that's going to get said about you. I mean, the the actual, you know, the 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 group that you get to select from is very very small, yeah. right? And I, I don't know. I mean, I could blame the Democrats for it, but it's it's like it's it's all it's everybody's fault um, yeah. that uh, that that the system is is set up this way, and it's unfortunate. But meeting people, 
learning things. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been an incredible experience for me. And, and I, and I think my family too, like we're starting to, my daughter changed her major to pol- political science. Really? College. Yeah. She's like, what That's the heck? That's awesome. I mean, I mean, she didn't really like what she was majoring in before. I don't sure. know. She's like, yeah, what the hell do poli sci? Uh, but you know, so we, and we've had great conversations about, yeah. about some issues. And, and so, uh, yeah, we're going to come out on the other end better of it, regardless of whether we win or lose. So I, you know, here's, here's one of the last questions I have for you. You've met um, a lot of people, right? Um, do you feel that, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, you win or you lose, these these relationships you've built with people, how do you think that's going to affect basically the rest of your life? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I've certainly made some friends that will be lifelong friends now. And yeah. that's not because of our political alignment, but, uh, you know, it's like playing football or maybe when you're on the force, right? Like when you're in the battle with somebody, whatever that battle is, you get you get close, you know, right. and uh, when you're grinding with people, you you, you get close. And yeah, you know, I know I'm not running for politics. It's not like serving on the on the force or. Well, anything you talk. Like I mean, that, you talk but... about uniform, right? When you when you wear that uniform, um, it's really races out the door. Yeah, you know. No, you, oh, you, that's... you you are one, well, and, that, and yeah. you can talk about anything. And that's the thing where you know, and the, I'm sure someone's going to blast me for saying this, but I got to tell you something, like. Yeah, I played in the NFL. Okay, so you show up and you start with like a hundred alpha males, and you got to whittle it down to fifty-three, and you got you know black guys, brown guys, fat guys, skinny guys, guys that grew up rich, played with guys that grew up homeless, uh, Christians, Jews, Muslims, you know, straight guys, gay guys. Do you know in my fifteen years in the NFL? Do you know how many? like sensitivity trainings or DEI sessions we sat through none, <laughs> not a one. Now it might be different these days, sure. but we never had to like, none of those things were ever an issue because it's like, okay, we're all here for one reason. Like this is the job. There's the goal. Right. Let's go do it. And so you never, you never even have, it's like never an issue. And so to me, and that's just, listen, that's my experience, okay? That, that's my life experience. So now when you kind of, I see a lot of this, um, the talk in the media or wherever, you know, about, about uh, equity. What was I talking, what were they talking about the other day? Oh, it was like climate change and equity. Yeah, and Like, yeah. what the hell are yeah. we talking climate about? Climate change, racial equity, because, yeah. you know, you need to make sure that how climate change is affecting, you know, the black community and poor people. I mean, it's like, what are we talking about? Like, we're so like, for some people, like race is everything. Is everything. everything. Sexual orientation is everything. And again, I'm just going by my life experience and how it's, it's like nothing. It's like nothing. And so maybe the most rewarding moments of this campaign are when, you know, it might be at an event. It might be when we're doing public appearance. It might be shooting main streets where, you talk to somebody who politically were not aligned and you can see like, they're kind of coming up, like they're ready to kind of tussle with you a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. But after a few minutes we walk away and it's like, okay, yeah. we don't agree on much, but it's like, you know, they're, human beings. they're kind of saying like, gee, you know, you're not that bad. I'm like, oh, you know, you're not that bad either. Like we're, we're human beings at the end of the day, we just see the world a little bit differently. And I think that's kind of the, that's kind of like that's like God's thing, right? Like I'm putting you all here on earth. You guys are gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. Like <laughs> now, figure it out. Do me proud and and figure it out. And so, so that's you talk doing. a little bit about some of the rewarding parts about running. I got a question because uh, when I was running for Hennepin County Sheriff, you know there was a time that uh, you wish you would have 
not said a certain phrase or take back something, sure. right? And uh, one for me was I visited a, a encampment encampment that housed the homeless, and I, I uh, made a plea to people to bring firewood to help them, right? And because I just wanted to help in any way we could help. Uh, my phone blew up from firefighters saying, "What the hell are you saying? Bring bring firewood." <laughs> you're going to burn down these encampments. And I go, all right, maybe not the smartest thing to say. My campaign manager was not happy about it either. But uh, looking back, are there are there uh, times during this campaign so far where you looked at your wife or somebody and said, damn, I wish I could take that one back? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't said anything like in spite or hate. Like I've said things and, of course, they've pulled them out of context. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't true. meant like even not to put it back on you, Jai, mm-hmm. but. You were saying like it was coming from a good place, right? right? It's yeah, just, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I guess it makes sense. I can burn yeah. it down, but I mean, you know, like they, of course, they, you know, the worst thing that uh, they can say about Scott Jensen and, and myself are that we're pro life, right? So they pull. I do pro life speaking all over the country, so they'll pull out of a forty five minute speech. They'll pull a five second sound clip and make it sound, and you know, gets all the way to the view and Whoopi Goldberg. And I mean, sure, do I wish. Yeah, I guess I wish I would have made that joke or said that phrase because yeah, they pulled it out and used it against me. But at the same time, it was the what it was or the greater context or what it was meant in was was good. Uh, it's what I believe, and so I mean I don't know that you know this this whole and that's what that's what we do. Every, that's what we all do, right? Is pull these sound bites out and play them and try to, and that's the side of politics where, man, you know. It's probably been like this forever, and it's probably going to be like this forever. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I'm hopeful that, you know, Scott and I have at least pushed the conversation. We've been honest. We've been very transparent. We've been very available. I mean, Scott, you know, we walk around. I don't know if I should say that. We never have security. I mean, we're just out. We're like out amongst the people. Yeah, now, you're out there the people, I'm not, man. I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about Scott. He's only about 150 pounds. I mean, he get, he get whooped <laughs> by just about anybody. But um, we've made ourselves available and, and and really pride ourselves on having conversations. So maybe maybe we've improved it, you know, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, of course, I've I've said a lot of things. Most things that I regret, though, I said to my wife. Yeah. Those are the things I'd love to really have back. Yeah, yeah those like when you're in doghouse. You know, I, I have one final question for you. Um, and this this is stems actually from a conversation that you and I had. There was, I think it was a young Republican state convention, and they had like the little v, VIP area. And I chatted with you for a second. Uh, and I, I asked you, and I, I kind of want to put this back to you again, Um when you consider your NFL career, right, and you're just taking a beating every game, right? Well, I'm giving so, out the beating too now. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank no, you're, you, you're, thank you. But your body gets, you know, oh, yeah. you're, you're busted up or whatever. Um, how do you feel the game of politics mentally compares to playing, you know, football? Like, yeah. are, are you surprised at how? different it is or or do you think one is more difficult mentally than the other well i think all toughness is mental toughness okay right so uh yeah football teaches you have to be mentally tough but what football also taught me was i can do more you can we can all do more than we think we can mm-hmm. right you're like oh i'm sore how am i gonna get through practice but coach is telling you you're gonna do it your teammates are out there doing it you're like all right we're gonna find a way we're gonna find a way and do it and you just do that over and over and it's kind of the same with politics. It's just the grind. It's the grind. It's the discipline. Um, 
So it's 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 the same that way, but football's way harder than politics. Man, I wake up Monday mornings like I couldn't move, and and I just be like, oh my gosh! And especially after a loss, everybody says bad things about you, anyways. So it's same as politics, um, but definitely definitely prepared me. And um, and uh, you know, again, it's kind of that focus on the process, do what you're supposed to do, focus on what you can control. You know, that's what I learned in football, and that's kind of the. The same thing here, being uh, being a Republican candidate in Minnesota. You know, we don't we don't have the media, we don't have the money, right? So we're gonna we're gonna outwork them, and uh, and 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 we're gonna um, you know we're just gonna do the things that, that that we can do. And I think it's I think it's working, you know. And I mean, win or lose, I'll tell you, November eighth, and I think we're gonna win, but um, it's gonna be a lot closer than than it has been in a in a, in a long time. And I think that's because. Yeah, I think that's because of Scott. Scott's done an unbelievable job. He's a tireless worker. Um, just he's indefatigable. I don't know if that's a word. I might have just made that up, but he's indefatigable. Uh, and and myself, um, you know, I think we've we've we put the time in, and we're going to do it from now until till November eighth. Yeah, man, I awesome. I I one hundred percent support you and Scott. I I actually supported Scott um, kind of after I had on the podcast that I do. Um, almost every candidate came on my podcast and I talked to them and, and Scott was like, you know, where do you think you're at? And I'm like, I'll, I'll let you know, man. And every time I'd have a conversation with him, I already had a a gut feeling like, but I still wanted to see how everyone else was, you know, and just Scott, he just, he right from the beginning, man, just, just spot on. And, you know, I, when I came down to state convention and, and I helped give the endorsement, speech yeah. like it's just all all these different things and so i i actually do think i i'm very hopeful um in minnesota i think that you and scott are doing the work the deck is stacked against you but you two are out there grinding and i i actually think that you guys are going to win and you know you could call me a homer or whatever you know because i always think the vikings are going to the super bowl every year too but i, I you're honestly, that guy i'm that guy but i honestly think that that you guys have put in the work and you're fighting the narrative. You're fighting the machine. And, and I think that a lot of good things are going to come. And let me just say, it's not, it, yes, we've done all that, but it's not us. I mean, it, it really is, is yeah. the people, is the movement, people. the energy. We're just kind of the, yeah, we're the we're the two guys. Yeah, you're the uh, avatars of the people. Yeah, man. but yeah. I mean, it really is. I think when, when COVID happened, I think a lot of people just said, we, we can't do this. And then they've seen the direction our state's going. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not everybody is like a diehard Democrat or a diehard Republican, right? right. There's a lot of people there in the middle. That they might vote Democrat. They might vote Republican. A lot of times they don't even vote. Uh, I think this year you know, it's a little bit different with what, with what happened, um, with what we've been through. And so, uh, yeah, it is a, it's true. It's truly a, a movement of the people. I want to do one Absolutely. last silly thing. Um, so it looks give like you a tattoo? All, all three of us have a, a tattoo on the side of our arm. Yeah. Mine says free Kamara. I got this when I was uh, 17 in Hollywood. What's your statement? So mine's got six of my kids' names okay. and then my wife's middle name is star. So it's got the star, right? Nice. This is how, but I have eight kids. Yeah. So where are the other two? Yeah. They're They're both six years old. Okay. I don't have them tattooed yet. And they're going to start asking questions. So you got to get it. November man. 9th, I'm going to get a tattoo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what, what's your say, John? I got a, I got a design. I got a, I got an Indian. Oh dang, design. you got like a whole yeah. thing. So. That took some time, right there. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. put us to shame, man. So I fell asleep during it. <laughs> for real? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this ain't nothing. You know what? Thank you so much for coming on, Matt. Uh, it was a blast, man. We'd love to have you back again. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, whooping it up. Now, one thing that I've been through before. 
is a gubernatorial inauguration. So I, I will be uh, happy to help attend do that. Maybe I'll be doing security for the MNGOP like I did before. Security? No, man. If we have this, you know, we can, you're like, you're celebrating with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be a great time. But again, man, I appreciate you coming on. Amazing conversation. Yeah. And I think you guys continue to do what you do. We got, what is it, like three weeks, three, three and a half weeks, something like that, until Election Day, and just keep pushing, and I think the people are going to speak, man. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. It's great talking to you. Yeah. yeah thanks, thanks for coming man. out, man. Thanks for listening to Black and Blue with AK and Officer Jai. Have a great day.